0: happy monday this is cordelia on the we heal together podcast today i'm super excited for the episode that you guys have ahead of you this week i have dr alexandra solomon on as a guest if you don't follow her on instagram you are missing out her instagram is at Doctor, period, Alexandra, period, Solomon. I have that information in the show notes, of course, as well as her website. And I also have a course that she just came out with. It is called Intimate Relationships 101 course. The link is in the show notes as well. I also put links for some of her other work that she's done if you're interested in them. So The two books she's written, that's in the show notes, her blog on Psychology Today, as well as her TED Talk. Before we get into the episode, I'm going to give you a little bit of background info about her. She is a licensed clinical psychologist at the Family Institute at Northwestern University. She's an assistant clinical professor in the Department of Psychology at Northwestern University. She has a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology and Women's Studies from the University of Michigan, a Graduate Certificate in Gender Studies from Northwestern University, a Master's of Arts in Counseling Psychology from Northwestern University, and a PhD in counseling psychology from Northwestern University, where she graduated in 2001. She is the author of two different books. She is a blogger for Psychology Today. She's given TED Talk. She's published in peer-reviewed academic journals, and she serves as an ad hoc reviewer for leading journals like the Journal of Marriage and Family Therapy and family process she is frequently asked to consult with the media on topics related to love sex and marriage including o magazine oprah winfrey network the today show cbs early show the atlantic npr huffington post new york times scientific american and vogue truly she's an incredible woman She has so much knowledge to offer and I can't wait for you guys to learn from this podcast. So the way the episode is set up today, you're going to get to know her a little bit in the beginning. We have a conversation about who she is, how her life is going, her work, her educational background, and then we get into boundaries and we have a really Amazing conversation about boundaries. And yeah, I'm really excited for this one. It was an honor to get to talk to her, and I hope you guys enjoy it. If you enjoy the episode, you enjoy the podcast, I am Cordelia. I host this podcast, I drop episodes every single Monday. You can follow me on Instagram for similar content. My Instagram is at codependent recovery. All the information is in the show notes about me and about the guest, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. So feel free to check that out if you forget at any point. If you are a listener of the podcast, I would love it if you would share the podcast with your friends as well as leave a review because that can always help me and it's Really helpful. So I appreciate you. If you want to check out the workbook I wrote or any of the things, any of my work, check that out in the show notes as well. Otherwise, I will see you next Monday and every Monday. (laughs) All right, let's get into this episode and let's get healing. Yay, well I'm so excited to have you here and I know just starting off, you know, it is February 2021, so we're in the middle of a pandemic and I really wanted to just, you know, hear how you're doing, hear how this last year has been for you and, you know, just hear what life has looked like for you this last year. Mm, that's a great place to start.
1: It has been, um, I mean, I, I have these moments where I think if somebody would have told me a year ago, you know, what this year would bring, I would say, you have got to be kidding. Like, that's just too far out of the realm of anything that I have known, you know, or been familiar with. And so I have these like, mo. I'm, I don't know if you, I'm curious to hear if you have those moments too, where it just is like the scope of this whole thing, you know, hits me like, wow, like a wave, you know? Um, And I think it's been, it's been a little bit of everything for me. So when I think about the different hats I wear, you know, as a mom, it has been a really mighty challenge to usher two teenagers through, um, through a pandemic. And that, you know, I think based on the age of, of one's children, when this happens, the challenges are really different. So I don't have the challenges of having to You know, have a list of logins, you know, for getting getting my kids into different remote school. They they handle much of that on their own, but I've held a lot of heaviness around what happens to teens development when you take a year out of their lives. And there have been certainly a lot of emotional and social challenges and family dynamics challenges. And then there have been these gifts like my um my, my work has, you know, I travel a lot for my work. My husband travels a lot for his work. And so there's been something pretty sacred about having 12 months where there's just been zero work travel. So we don't have to do the thing that busy two couple families have to do, which is compare schedules. And can I go on this date? Well, can you go on this date? You know, so there's been just some real treasures in that. And then of course, as as a therapist, it is just, um, it's really sacred to be able to be with clients as they go through this, but it's really, really heavy. So there's lots of, um. it's been a year of lots of secondary traumatization of being with, um, with individuals and couples and families as they deal with the grief and the anxiety and the fear around what's been happening for the last year. And the fact that there's no separateness. The things my clients are struggling with are very oftentimes the same things that I'm struggling with. So... Those are some of the things that come to my mind. How about how about for for you? How are you holding up?
0: No, I really I appreciate your answer. I feel like it was it, it has a lot. So I'm not a mom myself, and I'm really curious, you know, first, what ages are your your kids?
1: They're sixteen and eighteen. So a sophomore in high school and a senior in high school.
0: Oh my goodness. So senior year has that been re- are they remote currently or?
1: Mm-hmm. they are yep they are remote and um yeah <laughs> so think about your I mean I think about my <laughs> senior year of high school and think boy I sure am glad that I got to have that year exactly the way I had it instead of instead of remotely so my heart hurts for him
0: oh yeah Thank for her. sure yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I think that's really hard I'm sure you know I know there's a lot of listeners on here that are parents and I'm sure they're going through the same same thing so that's I mean, it's just interesting to hear you talk about that, but it's interesting that you're also able to appreciate the positives. And the other thing I, when you mentioned therapy, are you doing all of your sessions remotely as well? I am. I am. And you know, there's something
1: quite intimate about it. So, yeah. so the first, the first month, what I noticed was incredible amounts of exhaustion because um, I don't know if you've been in therapy, but therapy is so much about the energy, right? So I'm when I, you know, when I'm in a room with with a couple or an individual, I'm using my body, right? I'm I'm doing a lot of like my posture, my face, my energy is so much of how I feel into my client's experience, as well as convey that I'm feeling it, right? Convey empathy, yeah. like sort of get the buy in that a therapist needs in order to to push clients. So what I noticed in the first month was total exhaustion because I'm trying to feel and send out all of the stuff through a screen. And it was like one therapy session felt like two therapy sessions, you know? <laughs> and, um, and then I adapt as us humans adapt. And there's a kind of intimacy about zoom therapy because they're yeah. seeing, you know, I've got somebody knocking on the door of the dog barks, you know? <laughs> And I see them in their space and that's really pretty special. I suspect that a lot of my clients are not going to want to go back Especially <laughs> my couples are not going to want to go back to in-person because there's no commute, you know, they can just yeah. open their laptop, do therapy and then move on. So there's something quite, quite efficient about it as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a big shift. I I've been doing therapy with the therapist and I honestly really like it. Like I like the video I have two dogs so I'm able to hold my dog like during the session (laughs) so it kind of feels like you know having like a little emotional support animal there and absolutely really just kind of you're in your space and in comfy clothes and I don't know I definitely see what you're saying about intimate there because in a lot of ways I feel like I've been open able to open up a lot more because it is such a You know, I associate my home as being a safe space and I kind of feel like in some ways I felt a little bit safer, you know, to open up. So that's just a little, a little interesting, but everything my way has been really good. I can't complain about anything here. Um, So I want to get into a little bit more about your background. I know you are a clinical psychologist and for anybody out there listening I kind of wanted you just to walk through your education, because I think a lot of people, you know, like we hear these terms all the time, but no one really ever breaks it down for us unless you've been in that field or education or whatever job you may have. So if you would first just tell me, like, where did you go to college and what was your degree in?
1: sure okay
0: so um, I went to
1: college at University of Michigan and I majored in psychology with the intention of going to medical school so I was doing pre-medical pre-med um, requirements while majoring in psychology and then I took a women's studies class and it was like a total brain opening experience experience and I decided to shift and um, focus on on psychology more deeply and and become a psychologist because I was so fascinated by gender and power and relationships. And so then as I was looking towards graduate training, um, you know, there's these forks in the road. You can do a master's degree or you can do a PhD and a PhD tends to be if you want to have teaching and research be more of your career. A master's degree is the amount of training and the type of training that you need to be a clinician, a a therapist. And then within, you know, within the different kinds of therapy, within the kinds of people who can practice therapy, there's a licensed clinical psychologist, which is what I am. So I got a PhD, um, in counseling psychology. And so I am trained to to do research. I'm trained to teach and I'm trained to do therapy. And my license is, um, as a clinical psychologist, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, but I could have gone you know in terms of master's level degrees. there's a master's in marriage and family therapy. there's a master's in social work, there's a master's in counseling psychology. Um, there may be others. those are kind of like the major ones. So you're right that there's you know the biggest umbrella is therapist or psychotherapist and then within that there are different kind of areas of focus. So my focus as a licensed clinical psychologist really would be on an individual focusing on disorders. But in my graduate training, I did most of my training at a place called the Family Institute. And so I basically like received a master's degree in in marriage and family therapy along the way for all intents and purposes, because I was taking those classes with those students. My supervisors were all um, couples therapists. So I really learned deeply how to do couples therapy. So in that way, I'm a bit of an anomaly in being a licensed clinical psychologist who who mostly works with um, couples. So that's sort of the lay of the land. But I tell you what, not every, I think somebody can be a very, very, very good therapist and a lousy couples therapist. So for your listeners, if and when you go to couples therapy, it's very important that you ask with absolutely no hesitation that you ask that potential therapist what their training was to work with couples. Because saying i work with couples and being trained to work with couples are very different things so that's just a little a little word to the wise for your listeners
0: No, that i think that's a great point and it's always so good to know you know a lot of people myself included may not know what questions to ask you know in that setting so i think that's really helpful and i wanted to ask as well when so originally you thought you were going to be a doctor. Did you know like what type of doctor you wanted to be? Were you specifically interested in being a psychiatrist or was that something that like did your interest in the mind and psychology come, come about along the way?
1: Yeah, I... I I mean I basically when I was five years old decided I was gonna be a pediatrician and I just like didn't vary from that like I don't I mean it makes sense like I was five I had a pediatrician I thought she was really cool (laughs) so I really like and which is so funny because the I would never ever ever do therapy with anybody who's under about nineteen years old like I just I don't I've never worked I mean in my training I did. You know, I, I work with some kids along the way, but that's you know same thing. Like working with children and adolescents, it's a completely different skill set. There's a there's a particular set of gifts that a therapist has who works with kids and teens, and I don't have that gift. Nobody <laughs> wants me working with their kids. Um, so it's so funny that I went from pediatrician to couples therapist. But no, it was really. I mean. It was less a fascination with the mind and psychology and much more a fascination with relationships, you know? So mm, I, yeah. certainly I do, I, I'm i always thinking about what's happening in, you know, I my work occupies two spaces, what's happening inside a person and what's happening between them and the other person. And that's, I'm forever moving between the, you know, like, like the intra-psychic, like the interior and the relational back and forth, back and forth, back and forth and one feeds the other. So that's, um, that's really like my, my happiest place is where the idea of relational self-awareness, which is the, um, you know, sort of my frame, my sort of main framework that I, that all of my work, um, is, is, you know, it wraps around, um, is the idea of like understanding who we are in the context of our relationship. So that's really, that was really the, the spark for me was, starting to get really fascinated in, um, in what happens to us in our relationships.
0: I love that. Well, how long did that whole process take? Like from getting your bachelor's degree through finishing your PhD and then even getting your state license to become a licensed psychologist? So college was
1: four years and then graduate school was five years, um, and then another year of postdoctoral training for hours for my licensing exam. Uh, I wrote a, dissert- you know, a dissertation along the way. Um, yeah, and then, and then I was hired by the Family Institute and I have been there ever since at the Family Institute at Northwestern. I did my graduate training there, I did my fellowship there, uh, and now I've been working there as a therapist ever since. And I've been teaching at Northwestern I've been teaching at Northwestern since I was a graduate student. I was a, you know, teaching assistant in graduate school, got to do my own um, summer class at some point along the way in graduate school and was like, oh my gosh, teaching (laughs) is for me. And it has been um, just like the steady heartbeat of my whole career is is, um, teaching and then taking, you know, taking what's in academia and figuring out how to make it usable to the general public. So that's, yeah. I love the, I love the ivory tower. I love academia, but I mostly love figuring out how to like export, you know, information out of academia into the hands of, um, of regular people.
0: (laughs) Well, I love all the hats you wear. I think that's great. And how long then have you been practicing, you know, as a therapist? 20 years. Okay, that's amazing. Just about 20 years. And then have you been teaching that Mm -hmm. whole time as Mm -hmm. well?
1: I have. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. I, you know, when we had, when our kids were little, I probably took about five years off from seeing clients, maybe seven years off from seeing clients when the kids were little. But even during those years, I would always teach um, two classes a year.
0: That's amazing. And I know that you have really amazing courses as well that you offer to the general public and can you walk me through just you know no matter where I am in the world if I want to take one of your courses like how do I go about doing that
1: it's been you know the, the the undergraduate class that I teach building loving and lasting relationships marriage 101 has been you know a source of like intrigue for people around the world for many years because it is so unusual right it's really unusual to have a class called marriage 101 for college students to take and um and so it's been you know featured in media stories and there's lots of interest in on-campus you know enrollment like the class fills up very quickly and so it's been a point of struggle for me oops it, <clears throat> it's been a point of struggle for me for years that um that people are curious about it and and you know not And Northwestern students, of course, can't take the class, so I've been figuring out how to get the information, you know, into people's hands. And so that's the books that I write. You know, are versions of what we what I teach in Marriage One Hundred and One. But now. The the latest one that has been so fun it's only about <clears throat> just about a month old is a big online e course called Building Loving and La- or called um, Intimate Relationships One Hundred and One and I've been calling it Marriage One Hundred and One for the grown and sexy so it is it's it's for it's not a college class obviously because so you take it online self-guided at your own pace, but I'm supporting you every step of the way. And it's all of the essential lessons from Marriage 101. It's a foundation in relational self-awareness. And that has been so exciting to have that course out in the world. And, um, you know, it was so fun. designing it and figuring out what the modules would be and what the videos would be and creating worksheets for each and every part of the course and resource guides it has been it was really fun to design and really fun to film and now it's even more fun to have it out there and it's a really neat platform that we used, where beneath the videos there's an opportunity to kind of place comments and so there's lots of engagement between students and i'm responding to all of the comments and Um, It's been a really wonderful tool to have out in the world.
0: I think that's amazing. And it's so cool that you've been able to put it out in the world. I know that I think we talked about this earlier, but I went to Loyola, which is also in Chicago near Northwestern for my undergrad and for law school as well. And Northwestern, especially in Chicago, was very much thought of as I mean, it's a very good school. And so I think it's really amazing. I'm just saying this because I don't know if... I know I have listeners from all over the world. And I think it's such an amazing opportunity for people to be able to take this super popular course from one of the best schools. And, you know, it's just... It is just really, really cool. And I think that's amazing that you got... The information out there for people and I really hope people take advantage of it and I'll definitely put the link in the show notes as well so whoever's listening you guys can sign up for that course and Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned books as well I think you've written two books is that right that's right Mm -hmm. that's awesome and are those kind of Mm -hmm. one I think is called loving bravely and the other is taking sexy back did I get that right (laughs) Yes, you did. You did. Well done. (laughs) And are those, you know, are those available on Amazon or the internet? And will I, if I buy those and read those, are those kind of the same lessons or are they different lessons than what the course has? Right. Those are
1: great questions. Yeah. Both books are available wherever books are sold. I've been trying Especially in the last year, to direct people to independent booksellers. So, of course, I would always prefer for people yeah. to find their local bookseller. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Amazon's not needing. No offense against Amazon. <laughs> I'm so appreciative for them being in the world, but I don't, they're not needing more of our business. So the independent, yeah. especially this year, independent booksellers are needing all of our love. But yeah, the books. Um, both those books are available. You know, in all all the different formats that people enjoy um, reading books in. And it's interesting. The you know everything that's in the e course is newly designed, like, you know, I, I write books the way that I teach in that there's, um, there's, you know, an idea presented, some science presented, an example presented, and then some application questions. So in both of my books, there's, you know, weaving together of like the brain, the heart, like I want to make sure as people are reading that they are not just like learning how to talk the talk but really learning how to walk the walk. So all throughout both books there's application exercises and activities for people to really make those relational transformations. But I was sensitive to not wanting to repeat content that's in the books in the e-course. So everything in the e-course is packaged differently. It's also interesting that as I I couldn't, you know, even if I opened up a lecture I had given, you know, 3 years ago, I, or two years ago or one year ago, I wouldn't be able to give the same lecture again because my own development and thinking continues to change. So I wouldn't create an e-course that was a direct one-to-one correlation from those books because my thinking continues to evolve. So the way I put material together for the e-course is a bit different. And I made sure that every handout um, and worksheet for the e-course is is new and different. So nothing is you know, repurposed from the books. There's just so much, right? There's just, yeah. it's also... Um, it's also that, that that even in the even as I was creating the e-course, I was thinking, okay, so what's going to be next? Because everything can't fit into one course. <laughs> so there's just that's I think my favorite part of my work is that I I get to never be done. There's always another layer to peel back or something else, another dimension to add.
0: Yes, and that's so great that people have options for different ways to learn from you too. So that you know. For people who prefer reading or people who prefer doing the courses, it's, it's great that you put out content for all kinds of different different ways to absorb the information. So mm-hmm. I wanted to get in now into the bulk of the episode, and today we're going to be discussing boundaries. Um, So just starting with the basics, can you just provide, you know, a really simple definition of what a boundary is.
1: Yeah, a, a boundary is just the space between you and me, right? It's a space that marks what's me versus what's not me. And boundaries are dynamic and they are contextualized, right? So I have I have very different boundaries with my 18-year-old son than i have with my 16 year old daughter then i have with my best friend then i have with you then i have with a therapy client so there's no such thing as a capital b boundary right they are they are really what, what we allow and what we share it, it depends is is so relationship dependent and then it also changes over time in one relationship. So on a first date with somebody, you're going to have a very different boundary than on the third date and then on, you know, your one year anniversary and your five year anniversary. So even within one relationship, the di- the boundary is um is unfolding and changing.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting and I think I think some terms that I've come across when you know, seeing people write or speak about boundaries people use the terms a lot, like healthy boundaries. I've heard rigid boundaries. I've heard porous boundaries. And I just wanted you to kind of, can you differentiate? Like I, I get what you're saying that boundaries totally change within relationships, but what do those labels mean when people throw them in front of the word boundaries? Great. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I try
1: pretty hard to avoid the word I I try to at least avoid a binary between healthy and unhealthy, you know, because I think that it's, I think it sets us up to be a bit like self-critical or a bit perfectionistic. Um, But here's what I know for sure. I know that a boundary is healthy. I'm going to put it a little bit in quotes. I know it's, how about this? I know it's serving me well. I know it's serving me well when I feel both grounded within myself and connected to you, like that's the sweet spot. Like that's the, that's the both and, right? I'm both right. grounded in myself and I'm connected to you. Um, So that's, that's how I would operationalize like what it feels like to have a boundary in a really good place. It's like, I can hear me and I can hear you, you know? I can do both.
0: Right, that makes sense. So, you know, I guess when people use those other adjectives If we kind of stick with your definition of being, okay, I'm grounded in myself, but being open, when people say porous or weak boundaries, I'm thinking, I'm looking at it like a spectrum now, I guess, and I'm seeing it as, okay, if I have quote unquote porous, weak boundaries, then I'm probably not very grounded in myself. Like I've probably lost myself a little bit. And if I'm going... That's exactly right. Okay, perfect. And then rigid, I guess, the opposite of the spectrum where I'd be, you know, pulling myself, that space between me and you would be very growing, I guess. <laughs> yeah,
1: I love that. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So when I think about porous or weak boundaries, you're right. It's, a, it's I can't hear myself. And I can't hear myself either... Because and I think there's, I think there's two ways this goes. So I do when I'm when I'm talking about like the poorest boundaries. So I'm both these ends of the spectrum because I think of it as a spectrum as well. Let's just stay on the weak end for a moment. On the weak end of the boundary, I think about both a weak input boundary and a weak output boundary. So a weak input boundary is, I can all I can hear is Cordelia. All my thoughts are about I want to appease Cordelia. All I care about is how Cordelia is viewing me. All I can he- hear about is her opinion of my situation, right? So it's like all Cordelia's input and in none of my own voice, right? I just am like a sponge right. for everyone's perception, everyone's... But then there's a, the other thing is a, another kind of weak boundary is a weak output boundary, which is where I'm I'm not in my business. I'm in your business. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm mucking around in your business. I'm kind of over functioning. I'm being too directive, too focused on you, and not enough focus on me. So it's another. There's just a bit of subtlety there around those weak boundaries, and I think we can. I think that especially when I talk to women about boundaries it's a lot about um, kind of focusing on everybody else's opinion, but I think we lose sight of the other way that we can go, which is just a little bit like (laughs) hyper-focusing on the other person, you know, a bit too much caretaking, which is another version of a weaker, porous boundary.
0: That's a, yeah. I think that will resonate with a lot of people as well, because I know a lot of people that listen to the podcast, identify or see themselves or identify as having kind of codependent tendencies. So I think caretaking I imagine a lot of people will be able to relate to that. Um, When you Mm -hmm. think about where boundaries come from, you know, I guess in my mind, I kind of see like a mixture of things with culture and family and even kind of societal expectations of gender roles, things like that. But especially in your practice, like you've worked with so many couples for so many years, where do you see boundaries coming from? You know, most often, and you know, what other factors, I guess, besides the ones I named, kind of contribute to how how familiar a person even is with boundaries? Mm-hmm. Great. That's great. Yeah, can we just before we
1: move on, can we just do the rigid boundaries really oh, quick? Oh yeah. I we're, it's,
0: <laughs> Sorry, I, just want I like, it's like a little, forgot
1: about that. <laughs> yeah, we need like to a little open.
0: Yeah, we need to even out the sides, of course. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah,
1: can't leave it in balance. So on on our rigid side, we would have again like a rigid input or a rigid output. So a rigid input boundary would be just like I don't I don't ever ask for an opinion because I never ask for help because it, I feel whatever, weak or needy, if I, you know, ask for help, or I'm afraid to rely on you, I'm afraid to ask you what you think, um, so that's that weak, or that's that rigid input boundary, then the rigid output boundary would be, um, would be just like not, like, um, just not sharing, just kind of feeling walled off, feeling like nobody, I can't trust anybody, I can't share, I can't open up, um, and so I guess the segue then to your next question which I think is a great next question where do where do they come from I think it's all the things that you mentioned Gender, I think, is huge. Culture is huge. There's, you know, really interesting research studies where they'll go to different parts of the world and study spatial boundaries, right? So in some parts of the world, people talk, you know, with their faces like right up against each other. I don't know how this will work now in a pandemic world, but, you know, in some parts (laughs) of the world, like sitting really near each other, right? Being, you know, lots of touch as you talk is really normative. In other parts of the world, there's a bit more distance and space and, you know, stoicism and not a lot of emotionality. So, so even around like physical or spatial boundaries, that's very culturally determined. So I think culture and gender are huge. I also think, um, experience. So when we think about like rigid boundaries, Mm -hmm. sometimes we come to those rigid boundaries because of traumatic or painful experiences. And it's like, no, I'm not going to rely on you. No, I'm not going to be vulnerable with you. I'm not going to open up to you because I've been hurt and I feel relationally unsafe and I haven't healed that yet. So my survival mechanism, the best I know how to do right now is hunker down. So I think that's sometimes those boundaries on either end of the spectrum are a reflection of prior painful relationship experiences.
0: That makes total sense. And when you say that, I mean, it reminds me of even people who've been, toxic or abusive relationships how you know on the opposite side you know some people's reaction is obviously going to be exactly what you said like no I don't want to depend on anybody ever again but some people kind of get you know that that pattern of relating to somebody gets to kind of be what they see as quote-unquote normal And so I I also see what you're saying and how that could show up as, you know, not having boundaries because you kind of learned to tolerate a lot when you stayed in a toxic or an abusive relationship. And so, you know, if you haven't really worked through those parts and I'm speaking from personal experience as well, like I can see myself how I showed up in previous relationships just you know, not really, I didn't really have much concept of boundaries. And a lot of that I think I can trace back to, that was kind of my like normal, quote unquote, like my experience in these past relationships was tolerating a lot. And so, you know, that, and that when we talk about boundaries, I can see how that can make, set somebody up to have, to just not be great at knowing when to say no or knowing what your needs are. And that kind of brings me, I guess, to my next question. (laughs) so a lot of people really have, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to kind of narrow in on like the society gender expectation, I guess, because I've found more feedback from, you know, my female listeners and Instagram followers who have a really hard time saying no to people and really struggle even knowing like what are their needs, feeling like it's okay to express their needs or being unfamiliar with having like their own rights in a relationship. And so if you could just make it like very basic, I would love it if you could provide us with, you know, what are basic rights? that you kind of have as and this doesn't have to just be in like a romantic relationship it could be in friendships working with your boss you know parents I think it would just be really great if you kind of gave us the life lesson (laughs) on what we have the right to kind of set for ourselves and you know especially for people who struggle saying no I so if that's where
1: some if that's where a listener is, is in realizing that they have a hard time saying no, the most important right that I want them to practice right away before anything else is the right to say I'm going to have to get back to you. That one is essential, because if I don't yet, if I'm working on because because the difference between a yes and a no is felt in the body. So if I am used to if I'm used to just reading what somebody else wants from me, I've my very first lesson is figuring out how the hell to read my own bodily cues. And I can't do that in real time while you're watching me, <laughs> while you're waiting for an answer. So my very first right is the right to say, I'm gonna have to slow down and get back to you. And from there, it is a practice that I have with myself of getting quiet. In feeling like one of the most important, one of my favorite teachers is Dr. Dan Siegel, who is a neuroscientist and a psychologist. And he just has a really holistic way of viewing self and relationship. And one of the things I learned from him is that we oftentimes imagine we have to think about whether it's a yes or a no, you know, we have to think like use a top down, our brain has to, but what I learned from him is that there is within our gut, like our viscera, like our intestines, our stomach, there is the same, they're lined with neurons that are connected to a super myelinated pathway that goes up our spinal cord into our brain. So information travels from our gut up to our brain. That's why we say things like I have a gut feeling or have an intuitive, like a felt sense right. because our bodies sense, our bodies know, but if I'm used to running over that in order to appease you, in order to not rock the boat, in order to keep you from getting mad at me, the first thing I have to do is slow down, separate, quiet down and ask my body to give me some information and learn how to notice that and, um, and then use that to give you an answer because I ultimately I ultimately don't do anybody a service by continuing to say yes when I really mean no, because I'm just, I'm breeding inauthenticity, I'm creating the conditions for, you know, bitterness, resentment in me, I'm not giving you my best self anyway, you know, all of the sort of, you know, it so well as is the work of your podcast, it's a, it's a negative sequence of events, but the first the first right before any other right is the right to slow down and say, I don't know yet. <laughs>
0: I think that's huge, and I think even what you kind of unraveled within that, right, about listening to your body and listening to your gut, and I think that's really big, too. You know, so many of us never learned that. We never learned that our body is sending us signals and communicating to us, and I like what you're saying, especially because... You know, if it was as easy as just saying, you know, okay, well, Cordelia, yeah, just tell everybody just say no, then everybody, you know, that that would be solved and everybody would go on with it. So I like that you offer a middle ground because as we all know, when that situation comes up, if you're just starting out and just practicing, it can feel really scary to say all of a sudden you've said yes for... 30 plus years. And now you go to say no. So I like that kind of friendly, (laughs) friendly white flag, Mm -hmm. middle ground of, you know, I'm going to get back to you on that. So I I really like how you, how you put that for us.
1: Well, and, and I think sometimes, I think you're highlighting an error that we oftentimes make in our healing journey, which is we just go 180 degrees. You know, we think like, okay, this didn't work for me. So what's the opposite? I'll just do that instead. That's, that's the, that's the impulse oftentimes is just to do. So you're right. If I'm, if I've been a yes woman, then now I'm going to become a no woman, but here's the problem. Maybe I really do want to say yes, but I need it to be my yes, rather than your yes. Right. I need to make sure I need to run it through myself and then be like, oh, actually what you want and I want is the same. And I'm going to say it now, but I'm saying it. Because I checked in with myself rather than just because my gut feeling or my my uh, my like knee jerk is to right. say yes to appease you. It may be that we we both want the same thing, but if I'm a recovering people pleaser, we want we need yeah. to make sure that I'm really saying yes rather than just appeasing you.
0: I love that, and I think when we think about boundaries, I mean a lot of times we think about we think about kind of the situation that you and I were just talking about but I think it's really interesting that boundaries really can expand to different areas like physical boundaries you know not hugging somebody or doing things like that and so I wondered if you would kind of break down what are some different types of boundaries and you know even just going through a few of them and kind of giving us a few examples. Well,
1: um, I mean the first one that comes up for me is sexual boundaries. I think that's obvious. I mean there's, you know, there's physical boundaries, which is what you're saying around um, you know, hugging and, and touch, but sexual is a little bit more specific and probably what you know what what your right. listeners are more likely to struggle with. And around sexual boundaries, um, especially if we're talking about like, uh, I think for heterosexual people and heterosexual women, I think that's, this is the demographic where it's the hardest to really feel authorized and entitled to say no. And to say, actually, I'm not sure yet. And I'll get back to you. Or I don't know if this is what I want. I I can try a bit, but I I may really, you know, need to say no after a moment, like the, all these things where, um you know, I think about like my own experience as in college, you know, we used to go to these take back the night sexual violence prevention rallies. And our slogan was no means no. When really that's just a, it's, it's such a reflection of the heterosexual script, this idea that, that um, the most a woman could do is say no versus what we're trying to move into now, which is a much more co-created yes, that what we want is two people, Who are both like big juicy yeses and that's actually what great sex is an outgrowth of is two people who are again and again checking in and making sure that this is really fun and really what what everybody wants and going at a pace that feels good enough that people can stay present and engaged and happy and playful so it's such you know the difference between no means no and actual good sex is a really really big difference but that's, that's something that we are just now coming into is that sexual boundaries are not just about saying no, they're also, they're really about creating the conditions that, um, that allow us to say, to say yes, and to be imaginative and creative in ways that feel good.
0: I, yeah. I love that example. Cause I, I actually did a few podcast episodes surrounding sexual shame and, the lack of sexual education and considering that most of the feedback that I got from people is most people did not receive any kind of sexual education or even sex talks. It makes complete sense to me that now we're dealing with adults who really struggle with that idea that really, that is a foreign concept that, oh, hey, First of all, I have the right to enjoy my sexual experience. And second of all, I also have the right to communicate like what I'm comfortable with and, you know, what's good for me in the sexual experience. And so I think that's really interesting. I think I think society has kind of created this world where women have felt pressure to you know, be performative almost. And, you know, even how sex is depicted in movies, it's first of all, it's very, it's always like, or for the most part, it has been heterosexual couples and it's all about when the guy climaxes and all of those things. So it's just really interesting now in, you know, 2021 to be in this space where people are trying to figure out, you know, how they communicate these boundaries and what are sexual boundaries and all of that. So I love that you gave that as an example for us. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. 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 It is. It continues to break my heart. um, How lousy our preparation is, you know, and people yeah. of all, of all genders, like I, I think that we, you know, we raise our boys and men with really problematic messages around sexuality, that their sexuality, we teach our boys and our men that their sexuality is inherently predatory, it's inherently dangerous, it's inherent, you know, so I meet so many in my college class, I have so many conversations with male identified folks who are profoundly afraid of coming across as creepy or profoundly afraid of, of violating boundaries, and they don't, and they're afraid, and so these computing messages of a fear of hurting somebody and a fear of asking questions because there's a sense like I have to know and I have to take the lead. And so it's just, you know, there's, there's masculinity sits in all these really complicated and convoluted messages as well that, that I, I worry that we also aren't giving our boys and I men enough spaces to unpack that and figure out who the heck they are, you know, where, where their sexual boundaries are, you know, in a really like inside out kind of a way, rather than just like what society has taught me or told me
0: now i i completely agree and i think i mean i'm thinking of all the tv shows and movies that depict sex as a man taking control spontaneously and the actors eyes just meet and there's not really any communication and so yeah i totally i hear you on that i think there has been a very large disservice to so many people out there that have, you know, been informed this way. Um, Yep, yep. Mm So I feel like I've talked to so many people in my personal life as well as, you know, through my podcast and page. And one common thing, and I think you'll be able to speak way more on this than me because you've been an actual therapist for years. One common thing that I found is this is so hard for so many people like boundaries are so hard and I just wanted to hear your thoughts on why is that like why are boundaries so hard well I I don't
1: think there's an easy answer for it but here's where I think people get tripped up especially Especially in intimate, let's just focus on intimate relationships because this that's the realm that I'm mostly spending my time in. It is to like um to fall in love with somebody and to build a life with somebody is to expand your sense of who you are. It is it is an expansion of boundaries. You're not just a me anymore, you're a we. And so, so this generation of um I think especially women has been raised by mamas (laughs) who taught them to stand on their own two feet, which absolutely we have, we're living in a world now where girls are outperforming boys at every single level of the education spectrum. And we are, we are telling our girls that the sky is the limit. We are, at least at Northwestern, my female identified students have been told, you know, from the time they're itty bitty, like you can do it all. You can't, you should do it all. And so I think there's this tension between like love and ambition is really, really, really real and and independent, the need to be independent, um, That is a very strong need and the desire to be loved is a really strong need. And, and, and when we are loved and when we love somebody, it is an expansion of our boundaries. And now I do need to be mindful of what you need. And I do need to take you into consideration. And if, you know, my career now may bend a bit around yours and your career may bend a bit around mine. And all of that is, it's a series of boundary flexes. And in a space where, especially, somebody who's female identified is flexing around somebody who's male identified, accommodating, expanding, it in that moment she's like, "Oh my god, I'm about to become my grandmother. I'm about to become invisible <laughs> and powerless and resentful and you know all of the things that we like the like the fear of like the incredible disappearing woman is a really real fear." But it exists exactly alongside the fact that to fall in love, to build a life with somebody requires a a degree of accommodation and expansion. So these are the conversations I feel like I am having, especially my heterosexual couples have over and over again. I'm really inviting men to try to have empathy for what the hell modern women are trying to do (laughs) (laughs) because it's very it's, it's something that's very different. And I think when he watches her get all activated and twisty around things that feel like they should be simple, what I'm trying to help him understand is like, listen, modern women are like busting through really, really ancient archetypes here. And it's, (laughs) it's heavy and it's complicated. So that's where I go with that question.
0: Yeah, no, I like that. And It it reminds me of your post, which I love your Instagram post you did the other day, and it started with that common message that I've heard so many times, I'm sure you have, of if you loved me, you would do X, and what you just said really, that just made that kind of pop in my mind and think about that because I feel like when I think of friends or family members or something, like... A lot of times that I've heard what was going on between them, that message seems to be, you know, getting communicated between them where it's like, okay, well, if I loved, if you loved me, then you would move to Washington because that's where my new job is, or, you know, that's where that kind of shows up. And so I just wanted you to kind of maybe expand on, on that little phrase that we hear so often and how that kind of interplays with boundaries.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how many of us are saying it in that way, right? Like yeah. I made it in that yeah, post, yeah. <laughs> I made it like very simplistic, like if you love me, but it, and I think maybe there are, but it is the idea of like how, you know, around those forks in the road, questions of commitment and love do come up and neither neither position feels particularly good like if I feel like I am constantly flexing myself to accommodate you um, I'm going to feel like I love you more I'm more committed to you and there's something that feels vulnerable in that I may feel a bit like one down like you have the upper hand and it may in a It will stir up, of course, all kinds of like ghosts of who, you know, who in my life did I see kind of like, quote unquote, lose themselves in a relationship, you know? Um, But the other way can be really hard too. Like if, you know, if, if, um, if you're saying to me, like, no, I, I will move with you for your job. And you are saying like, no, I am, I checked in with myself. My boundaries are flexible. I want to be with you. I will move to where you're going. I then have to receive that. And that can be really challenging, right? Because I have to feel worthy enough to receive your generosity. I have to not feel then like somehow I owe you something. Like I have to, you know, it it just, there's just layers upon this. And, um, and it's, and it's very difficult. It's much, you know, and this is something that generations ago, it was not an issue because you, because relationships were incredibly role bound. Women right. had no, women didn't occupy anything in the public sphere. So this wouldn't have even been. And you married the boy or the girl next door. So the, the, we we weren't in these very, very geographically mobile lives that we're in now. So we're all trying to figure out um, a uniquely modern set of com- complexities.
0: Right. No, I, I think that's, it's such a good point. And I think, I don't know, when I think back to moments when I've kind of tried to structure, well, first of all, I had no concept of what boundaries were, you know, until I always joke, like literally until a year or two ago, <laughs> and I'm 30 now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think back of moments when I have structured something that, at the time, I thought was communicating a boundary in that way. Like, if you loved me, you would do X. Or if if you don't do this, then I'll do mm-hmm. this. And when I think back on that, I think, you know, I see, I feel, I feel compassion for myself in those situations where I recognize that I was, like, insecure, anxious about other things going on. And I see how I was kind of trying to, like, control the outcome by phrasing it that way. And it was more... So I guess I I bring that up because I would love to have you kind of walk through how do you actually set a boundary? And keeping in mind that I do think a lot of people do what we're talking about here and they kind of call it a boundary... And in my opinion, and in my growth, and I'm not hating on anybody, I've completely been guilty of this in the past, so no judgments, Um, but I'm now seeing, okay, that that wasn't a boundary, that was definitely... (laughs) That was a... A Strong request, but it wasn't a boundary. <laughs> I
1: just, I just love it. I love the truth you're speaking. I love that you are putting yourself in the ring, and I think that what you're articulating is incredibly valuable for your listeners because you are right. There, I think what what's complicated is to go from my um, one of my another one of my beloved teachers, Terry Reel. This is something I learned from him. I think especially when you are a woman to go from feeling like you are a voiceless doormat. Then you find your voice. Well, <laughs> the first round of your voice, it's not going to be so elegant, right? It's going to sound a lot like "If you love me, you would." And, <laughs> and, what, and what it feels like in the moment is like I'm standing up for myself. That's okay. it's a it's personal empowerment, right? It's like a it's like an overcorrection. So he makes a distinction between personal empowerment, which is like, hell no, if you don't, I'm not gonna. Or here's my line. This is my line. This is my boundary. <laughs> and that's maybe a step it goes from voiceless to personal empowerment. But then the place we want to end up is relational empowerment, which is, holy shit, we're sitting with some complicated stuff here. Here's what my best approximation is of my truth. Here's what I'm feeling like I need. What are you needing? What comes up for you in this space? What comes up for me in this space? Like just sitting in the muck and pulling the different threads apart and saying, I feel like I'm gonna be best suited to love you if these are the conditions. I feel like my yeah. most full self in this relationship when it goes like this. Here's what I you know what I mean? Like that's very different than the if you don't, I won't. But I don't but I think that what you're speaking to is a it's a a really common trajectory, a developmental trajectory to finding one's voice and then refining one's voice.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think I think kind of hand in hand with that, most people, myself included, who structure the like if then kind of sentence. I I feel like the biggest kind of wake up call for me in realizing like, whoa, that is definitely that wasn't a boundary, that was something else, is I never really followed through with the if then statements. So for example, if and again, these weren't like this was a toxic, you know, marriage, a toxic relationship. And but I think my body was kind of communicating to me like, I'm not happy, I don't really like this. But at the same time, I think a really good thing for me and kind of my healing journey has been paying attention if I'm ever tempted to say anything like that. Like pausing and thinking, is that something I'm even going to follow through with? And that Mm -hmm. has kind of made me realize how important consequences are with boundaries. And also formulating boundaries in that statement of you. So, you know, I kind of said a lot there, but what I'm really looking at and what I would love for you to kind of expand on is, should boundaries like be about the other person or should it really be about me? And should you really say something, like in terms of setting a boundary, that you you aren't a hundred percent sure that you can follow through with like, mm-hmm. you know, if let's, for I'll give an example. Let's say I really don't, I don't know. I don't like the way my mother-in-law is treating me or something. And I don't need to like be mean to my partner or anything, but I've, for my own sanity, I'm like, I'm going to take some space and, you know, I set a boundary where I'm saying or I'm wanting to say, hey, I think it's great if you're going over there, but at least for the next few weeks, like you can do that on your own and I'm going to stay here. And so kind of just using that example, I guess, to expand on, you know, is there a wrong way to say that? So should the emphasis be on him? Like should I be pressuring or her if I'm, you know, married to a woman, should I be pressuring right. them to do something in terms of their own mom? And then, mm-hmm. you know, let's say at the time I'm making that statement, I'm not totally sure that I can stick with that. Like if they give me any pushback, then I might just cave and go anyways. Does that make sense? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's
1: a, I think it's a really helpful example. Okay, so I guess my first, like, let's say this is, Um, let's say we're, you and I are, we're consulting together. This is our therapy client, right? Okay. Our therapy client is the is the wife in this situation. So I would want us to be talking, to, I would want us to be saying to her, what is your motivation? Like, what are you trying to get clear on? And who are you trying to communicate it to? Are you taking space from your mother-in-law so that you can reset and kind of heal. And, um, are you trying to punish her? Are you trying to test his loyalty? Right. Are you Mm, going to listen? Mm -hmm. If if, you know, I just told you that for the next three weeks, I'm not going to your mom's house. Are you going to like, you know, kind of like watching your, watching your clock? Like, are you going to go to your mom's house (laughs) if I'm not going? So what I want to, I want to really sit with, with this, with this gal and, and help her unpack what's the message, what's the communication, what's the motivation. And if, and what, what I would, the I would most likely be on board if what she says to us is, listen, the thing that happened last week was really painful. So I, and I'm not sure yet because I'm working on, I'm a recovering people pleaser. I'm not sure yet where I want to go in this relationship, but what I do know is I need a little time to settle. So I'm going to not, I'm for the next three weeks, I'm not going to go over there and I'm going to use the next three weeks to figure out what I want to share with her about the ways right. in which she's hurt my feelings, the requests I wanna make. Um, but the thing I know for sure is if I keep seeing her right now under these conditions, a bad situation is only gonna get worse. So I don't know a whole lot yet, but what I know is I need a bit of a reset. And I'm gonna to say to my husband, this is in our healthiest scenario, I'm saying to my husband, listen, you and your mom have a long history. It's a longer history than your history with me. And I know that I'm on some tricky territory here and I'm your wife and I want, you know, I I want our marriage to be number one, but I do not want you in the middle of a triangle because that's a gnarly ass triangle between (laughs) a mother and a wife. And I don't know yet where it's going to go. So I don't want to put you in the middle. So I would like you to, you know, you do what you got to do with your mom for the next three weeks. Um, But I'm going to take a bit of space and And when I have a clear sense of what's going on for me, I, I'm thinking something I may want is for you and I to talk about how we're going to talk to her about, you know, what I need, because what I need in order to be my best self in my relationship with her.
0: I love that. So what if he, what if the guy, the husband, what if he says, you know, no, I, I think this is just a big misunderstanding. I would really, really, really like you to come. Like, please just come. Like, And then if you don't like it, then you can do the three-week thing. You know, what if there's some kind of pushback in that situation?
1: So, okay. So if our husband in this situation, the husband in this situation gives pushback to the wife and says, come on, like, just come with me. It'll be okay. Okay then what I would, I think in the healthiest situation, what the wife would say is, okay, so it's really important to have me at this event or this gathering. That means that between now and then I would like you to help like foster a bit of healing between your mom and I, because that thing that happened, it was a rift and it hurt. And I don't feel okay about how things are between us. And so if I show up at the party, whatever the gathering at her house without any sort of repair process, I'm going to basically like have a creepy smile plastered (laughs) on my face and I'm going to be like, kind of, I'm not going to be my full self. And it's, it's, I think I'm worried it's going to make a bad situation worse. And so I hear that it's really important for you to have me there, but it's also really important for me to feel like I'm not on guard and I'm not faking it and I'm not doing it in order to just appease everybody else. So what do you think my darling husband about taking the lead on a conversation between the three of us? I don't want you stuck in the middle. I don't want me being fake. And I don't want your mom to continue to hurt me in these ways. Um, because it may, you know, because that's not good for, for, um, Any of us. And so I think I can imagine a husband being quite uncomfortable in that situation. Um, And that's actually the trickiest research has shown that's the trickiest triangle is husband, wife, and then husband's mother. But I tell you what, marriage is, you know, oftentimes a husband grows up quite a bit (laughs) in a marriage. He's asked to do things that are a bit beyond his emotional, you know, his emotional comfort zone. And he can do it. And he can say to his mom, mom, I love you you brought me into this world i'm profoundly grateful and the relationship between you and my beloved wife is really important to me and i am committed to doing what i can do to make this relationship as good as possible
0: yeah i think that's he can do that a husband can do that you know <laughs> i love that and i also liked how your explanation i think kind of highlighted a bunch of questions that i was asking too in terms of you really focused on what her intention was and so that also allowed her to be flexible because I think sometimes people get really hung up on like, no, I said three weeks, but by figuring out the intention, you figure out it's not really about how much time, you know, it's not about like we need exactly 21 days before I see your mom again. It. You know, by asking the questions you asked about what's going on here, you know, what are your goals and setting the boundary, it does allow the boundary to be flexible and, you know, for them to kind of meet in the middle. And I also liked, you know, the them coming together, you know, it's eventually it has to be a compromise, basically. And, you know, he might want it one way. He might want her to come without that conversation initially. But um, I think that's just really important that just highlighting how flexible boundaries can be. And maybe the most important part is in setting one is figuring out what your end goal is and figuring out why you're setting it in the first place. (laughs)
1: That's beautiful that's very very well said that's very well said because it's not and and it's it's a little bit of a red flag for us if we are if the hope is that our boundary will serve as a punishment or a consequence or a deterrent that's not the language we want in our relationships like that's not that's not loving language so if that's if when i'm trying to figure out my boundary that's what i'm wanting to do is stick it to somebody show somebody prove to somebody consequence somebody then I know that I'm a bit off track and what's the layer I can peel back to something that is more a reflection of like, what's my end goal? What's in the service of love. I love the question, like what would love yeah. do, you know? And that's not the same thing as being, it's not the same being, same thing as being a sucker. And we may, we may come by that tendency very honestly. We, if we grew up in a family that levied punishment and consequences and cutoffs and, you know, harshness, that is our inheritance. But we get to then say, Okay. So that's, that's the direction I'm at risk of going unless I'm mindful, unless I check in with myself, but there's actually a whole bunch of other pathways that I'm learning about. Yeah.
0: I love that. And I know that we have been talking for a while, so I just have just two more questions for you. The, a big one I think that comes up is the flip side. So what about when somebody sets a boundary with me? Because, I think we spend so much time talking about working through and learning how to set boundaries but sometimes when you're on the receiving end of someone setting a boundary for whatever reason we can interpret that as rejection and we can take that in a really negative way even though that we are also working on honoring ourselves and setting boundaries so I guess what is a a lesson or you know, what would you say to somebody who's kind of struggling with receiving boundaries from, or hearing a boundary? Mm
1: -hmm. I think the word rejection is a really appropriate one. And I think the, like the, um, the antidote to that rejection is to focus on like self-compassion, And what can I learn from this boundary that's been set with me, right? Like, what can I, because we don't have to be perfect. And when somebody is a way in which when somebody sets a boundary with us, it's, there's a gift in it. I know that's like, not the first thing that's going to happen, but when somebody says, Hey, this didn't land well, or, Hey, you hurt me or, Hey, I'm going to protect myself a bit because, um, I'm struggling in my relationship with you right now. It is an invitation for us to take a look at ourselves um not to take responsibility not to blame ourselves not to shame ourselves not to like drown in that whole like beating ourselves up but just to kind of check in about um what's the message what can i learn from this uh and it you know it's always like because of what we said in the beginning about how boundaries are contextual and they're dynamic just because somebody set a boundary with us doesn't mean that it's like a capital T doesn't mean that they're right and we're wrong right? that we actually objectively are too much but it may very well be that we are too much for them in this moment and they need a bit of space from us okay i can somebody can need space from me and that doesn't mean that i'm a terrible awful horrible piece of crap person <laughs> it just means that i'm too much for this person right now or i've done harm to this person and what am i what do i want to learn from that and um where am i going to head next yeah. you know How am I going to occupy myself? How am I going to redirect myself? I love
0: that. And I think, I mean, I think that's a great point. If somebody is taking the time to set a boundary with you, it is actually kind of a good sign because they're taking the time to actually be brave and give you some feedback and say, Mm -hmm. hey, this isn't working for me. I I need this instead. And That is a good sign that they want you in their life. Otherwise, I would assume they would just kind of write you off and not even bother, you know, explaining how they need things to go. So I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. Mm -hmm. And so the last question I wanted to ask is a lot of parents listen to the podcast. So parents of all different ages listen and I would love first to kind of just hear some feedback in terms of for the parents out there who have kids under 18, how do you best model and teach boundaries to your kids? And on the flip side, what boundaries should you allow, and I know this will vary depending on the age of your children <laughs> and what stage they're at, but maybe just a better way to ask that is how, or are kids allowed to set boundaries with their parents at all?
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, really the short answer is you're yeah. going to have them back on and we'll just do a whole one parents and boundaries because that's a humongous pandora's box but i think that i i do i mean i think that you know that's the that's the blessing and curse of being a parent is our kids are always watching us so our kids are watching us model boundaries all the time and i do i think one of the most beautiful things that our kids can learn in their relationship with us is Is boundaries like I I love the idea of little kids being able to have you know amounts of agency and control over their worlds, and I think many of us grew up with a very very skewed idea of what parenting is, and and that parenting is you know they are a hundred percent the authority. (laughs) There's parents don't apologize, parents don't accommodate, parents lay down the law, you know parents demand respect, and that's a very kind of old school version of parenting. And I I'm so inspired by the ways in which parents are trying to create more relational models with their kids. And again, doesn't mean the parents a doormat, right? There are a million shades of gray between ruling with an iron fist and, you know, raising a little, a little prince and a little princess, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of shades of gray between that, but it does mean that, 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 uh, that, that things that we're always looking for a third path where it's like, it's not just mom's way or the kid's way. It's a way forward that works for both of us. So I think that's, that's um, like always like, that's one of my, because one of my touchstones as a parent is like, okay, what's the third option? <laughs> what's the third? Cause you can always, as a parent, you can always see like, I can accommodate, I can hold the line. And then I'm always looking for like, what's the third option? There's got to be something else, yeah. right? If it's if it's that binary is all I'm seeing, I challenge myself for what's missing. What's the third path forward? And usually that's where the, where the goal oh, is. I love
0: that. And I really, really appreciate all of your valuable insights and your time. And I hope that so many people learn so much from this. And I really am excited for your course and your books and just, the fact that you're getting out all this amazing information to the world. Um, I know I mentioned it earlier, but I love your Instagram. And if you want to mention your um, your Instagram name so that people can follow you, that would be great. Because I'm sure that after hearing this, everyone will want more info from you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's um Solomon. is my instagram and that's been a really just a really beautiful place to share these ideas and engage with community um it's been a fun journey being on instagram for sure well i
0: really appreciate it and thank you so much for your time and for chatting with me today <laughs>